When I think about long-distance runners, marathon swimmers, ultra-cyclists, and triathletes who run, bike, and swim long distances, I wonder to myself how they are able to accomplish what they accomplish. They're motivated by various inspirations to accomplish their goals, whether through self-motivated accomplishments or they purpose to achieve to honor someone else. I myself cycle, motivated not because of the health benefits of exercising, but knowing that at the end of the ride, I will be eating delicious food with friends. You see, our biking group rides to eat. It's not the most inspirational motivation to bike, but it is a motivation nevertheless. What are the inspirations that allow us to press on to the end in the race of the Christian life? That's what we want to take a look at as we finish our sermon series, Voyager, looking at the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul as recorded in the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Acts chapter 28 as we study verses 11 to 31. Acts chapter 28, verses 11 to 31. In these verses, we want to identify four inspirations that motivated the Apostle Paul to press on to the end and finish well. I read now verses 11 to 14. After three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing at Syracuse, we stayed three days. From there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew. And the next day, we came to Putioli, where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. The Bible tells us that after three months in Malta, wintering there until the conditions were favorable for the traveling group to continue toward Rome, the group finally set sail on a ship from Egypt on its way to Italy that had also wintered in one of Malta's many ports. They made their way up the so-called boot of Italy because of its geographic shape and came to Putioli, about 125 miles from Rome. There they ran into some Christians who showed extreme kindness to this traveling group and extended genuine hospitality. The group stayed with these Christians seven days to recuperate from their journey and to rest. These were people Paul had never met before, but we don't know how they came to know about Jesus. Perhaps the church in Rome had planted this church, but their bond in love because of a common Lord and Savior made them truly brothers and sisters in Christ, and hospitality was extended by these Christian strangers. You can just imagine what the Roman centurion and his men were thinking as they too would have benefited from the great hospitality. They would have witnessed firsthand what Christian love looked like. Verse 15, And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. As Paul got closer to Rome, the Christians there got word that he was coming and were so excited that they traveled many miles south to meet Paul and accompany him on their journey to Rome. This was Paul's first physical contact with Roman Christians, although he had already written a letter to them, the book of Romans, which he had sent three years earlier from Corinth during his third missionary journey. So thankful for the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, these Roman Christians journeyed with Paul the last leg of his journey to Rome. You can just imagine the joy of fellowship as this traveling group seemed to grow numerically. 
And we all know that a trip is always more fun and seemingly shorter when you have wonderful people to travel with. As verse 15 tells us, because of the encouragement of these Roman Christians, the Apostle Paul thanked God for them and was fortified and further emboldened for the work of the Lord. This shows that even the Apostle Paul needed encouragement in spite of his own courage and boldness. You see, everyone needs to know they are not alone, that there are others who walk with us and share the same faith and passions we do. It's so easy to be discouraged in life, especially if you think you're all alone. That's why every Christian needs to be in community. Even the most introverted of people needs a friend. Because it is in and through community, specifically a community of believers, that God gives us very tangible experiences of encouragement. This is our first inspiration to help us press on to the end. Inspiration number one. We are not alone in life's journey. We are not alone in life's journey. The Lord Himself and other Christians He brings into our path help us and journey with us. Even those in individual sports like tennis or F1 racing, bowling, and running, competing at the highest of levels, have a support team of coaches, trainers, nutritionists, and experts. They are not alone. They wouldn't have made it to the elite levels without others. As it is in the sports world, so it is also in our Christian spiritual lives. Our inspiration to press on to the end is knowing we're not alone. And there is no better reminder of that every week than by coming to worship God together corporately in church. I was reminded of this principle through a silly mobile game this week. Ten days ago, someone introduced me to a new mobile game, Monopoly Go. I think they get extra lives for getting a friend to download and join the game. I also believe many in our church community are playing this game because I get attacked by 20 to 30 different church members a day. One even attacked me 19 times in the span of two hours. Perhaps it's the only avenue where they can take out their anger on me without feeling guilty since it's quote-unquote only a game. Anyway, this is a fun, easy, addictive game for sure, but it's also very frustrating because you're always looking for special cards to make up a set to give you more lives or more dice rolls. There is an option where you can trade and share cards with others to complete your set. So with the help of others, it's easier to complete your task. But if you play by yourself, it's nearly impossible to accomplish all the tasks. Frustrated that I couldn't get the cards I needed myself, what did I do? I asked a church coworker to create a GCCP Monopoly Go trading and sharing Facebook group to get the cards I needed to complete different sets. Because sharing is caring, even if it's just fake digital cards in a mobile app. But honestly, it's more fun to play with a community. I believe this is how God has wired us to find encouragement in community. That's why there's that admonition in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25, of not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now look at verse 16. Now, when we came to Rome, 
the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. The Bible tells us when the group arrived in Rome, perhaps because of his Christ-like testimony and having earned the respect and trust of the centurion accompanying him who could vouch for him, Paul was allowed to live in a private rented house with only a Roman guard watching over him. This allowed Paul great freedom as he waited for his trial before the authorities in Rome. Not only did he have Luke and Aristarchus with him, but Timothy, Tychicus, and Epaphroditus also visited and spent considerable time with Paul. It was during this two-year confinement in Rome that he wrote letters to Philemon and to the Colossians. This favorable setup and environment for Paul's two-year confinement was because of God's grace and him working in the hearts of all who were involved in his custody to arrange for this wonderful setup. So from the unexpected hospitality of unknown Christians in Putioli to him being encouraged by the fellowship of Roman Christians on his journey to Rome, to Paul having his own private place to entertain visitors during his Roman confinement as enabled by God. All of these things would have been vivid reminders to the Apostle Paul that he was not alone. And this is what inspired Paul to finish well and to press on to the end, knowing that he was not alone in this journey. The Lord was with him, and the people whom God had brought into his life were with him as well. My friends, this truth should also inspire us to press on to the end. We are not alone. The Lord is with us. Other believers are standing with us, and on the same journey we travel. Now look at me at verses 17 to 20. And it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when they had come together, he said to them, Men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, Yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans, who, when they had examined me, wanted to let me go, because there was no cause for putting me to death. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have called for you, to see you and speak with you, because for the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain." In these verses, we see that Paul called some of the leaders of the Jewish community in Rome to his residence to talk to them. Of course, he wanted to preach Christ to them, but he also wanted to take the initiative to explain to them that he was not antagonistic towards the Jewish people, being a Jew himself. Perhaps he wanted to control the narrative about him before untrue words from the Jewish community in Jerusalem got to Rome. Paul emphatically emphasized in verse 17 that he had done nothing wrong against the Jewish people and her customs. He told them that the various Roman authorities who judged him declared him innocent and that because the Jews in Jerusalem would not accept the verdicts, he was compelled to appeal to Caesar for his own protection, not because he was against the Jewish nation. And in verse 20, Paul told them that he was willing to go through all of this and even to accept this imprisonment because of the message of hope for the nation of Israel, which is that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of mankind. Paul was willing 
to go to any lengths, even imprisonment, just to bring the message of hope in Jesus to a hopeless people. That showed his great love for his own people. Verse 21 and 22, Then they said to him, We neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. But we desire to hear from you what you think. For concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. The Jewish leaders in Rome told Paul that they were unaware of anything concerning the case with Paul, so that they would like now to hear what Paul had to say. We don't know how truthful this statement was, as there were frequent communications between Jewish religious leaders in Rome and Jerusalem. But nevertheless, taken at face value, it gave Paul an audience. The Roman Jews stated they were aware of Christianity, but had only heard negative reports about it. So they were curious to hear Paul's explanation of this quote-unquote sect of Judaism, as he had called it, the hope of Israel. By reaching out to the Jewish leaders in Rome and inviting them to his rented home, Paul desired to give hope to a hopeless people. This had been his inspiration to press on, even though he encountered many difficulties throughout his ministry. And this is our second inspiration to help us press on to the end. Inspiration number two, we bring a message of hope to the hopeless. We bring a message of hope to the hopeless. Whether we want to admit it or not, the world is hopeless. As Paul McAllister notes it well, present hurts and uncertainty over what the future holds create the constant need for hope. Worldwide poverty, hunger, disease, and human potential to generate terror and destruction create a longing for something better. Historically, people have looked to the future with a mixture of longing and fear. Many have concluded that there is no reasonable basis for hope, and therefore, the hope is to live with an illusion. And yet, my friends, hope for a hopeless world is not an illusion. It is very real and comes in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the hope for a fallen world because He offers salvation. I love how John Lackey puts it, as Christians, we have an answer for that hopelessness. There's so much more to life than what we encounter in this lonely world. God wants us to be in fellowship with Him, and to that end, He sent His Son into this world with a message of hope and salvation. That salvation is not a promise of comfort and material prosperity in this life. It is actually something far greater than that. It is a promise of life eternal in His presence with financial markets often in turmoil and constant news spreading fear and panic around the world, it's a good time to adjust our focus and look at the bigger picture. Stocks rise and fall, and pandemics come and go, but eternal life is forever. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you'll find the troubles of this world are suddenly not so troubling after all. Yes, you may lose money or you may fall ill, but you will never be alone in this world or the next if you're walking with God. My friends, if we have this message of hope, what lengths will you go to to make sure the hopeless hear 
the hope we have in Jesus Christ. A hopeless world may not even know they have a problem or even know where to start to deal with their hopelessness. You and I do. But the question is, what are you and I willing to do to deliver this message of hope? If someone is terminally ill and you hold the only medicine to cure them, would you be willing to drive in the rain to bring it to them? Would you be willing to wade through the floodwaters to bring it to them? Would you be willing to take a day off from work to bring it to them? Would you be willing to endure being called names to bring this miracle medicine? I'm sure you and I would. In fact, it would be almost cruel for you and I not to do anything and simply remain quiet or not take any action. In the same way, people all around us are going to hell where there's no hope of salvation there, only eternal separation from God. Would you and I be willing to do almost everything desperate to tell them that there's only one solution in the person of Jesus to save them? I would hope so. But then again, the reality is that we can't even be bothered with a little inconvenience to share a message of hope to the hopeless. As I've said it before, it is God's responsibility to move in people's hearts, but it is our responsibility to bring the message of hope to the hopeless. We should be inspired with this truth, and it should encourage us to press on to the end. Until the day we see Jesus, we should be telling the hopeless about the hope found in Christ. I read now verses 23 and 24. So when they had appointed him a day, Many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. The Jewish leaders in Rome had a second meeting with Paul at his rented house. There the Bible tells us Paul used the scriptures, specifically the Old Testament, to get them to understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah. This session began in the morning and went on until the evening. It is pretty impressive that Paul had enough biblical knowledge of the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi to be able to prove that Jesus was the promised Savior and had enough to say that it lasted all day. And it was also impressive that he was able to retain their attention for that long of a time. The response to Paul's presentation and sharing was that some believed, but others were not convinced. This showed that unlike the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, who were not open-minded to even give Paul a listen, there were here at least some in the Jewish leadership in Rome whose hearts and mind were open, and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, believed in Paul's gospel presentation. You see, Paul had not given up on Jewish leaders. He simply shared the gospel every opportunity he had to anyone because he knew that there was always someone who was listening. Look at verses 25 to 29 to see what were Paul's last words to this group. So when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, 
Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, quoted from the words of the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, that the Jewish people as a whole would not turn to the promised Messiah until the eschatological future. As it was in the days of Isaiah, where the hearts of the people were hard, their ears deaf, and their eyes spiritually blinded, so it was also happening now to the Jewish people in Paul's day, and thus their unbelief. And that's why Paul declared to them that God had directed the message of salvation in Jesus to be brought to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And that was the focus of Paul's ministry. From these verses, we see that while the gospel message may be rejected by many, there were some who were wanting and waiting to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, both in hard-to-reach cultures like the Jewish people and ready-to-receive cultures like the Gentiles in Paul's day. This is an encouragement for us to press on until the end because our third inspiration is that number three, we know there are people waiting and wanting to hear the gospel message. We know there are people waiting and wanting to hear the gospel message. My friends, we should not tire of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because throughout the entire world, while many will reject Him and don't want to hear about Jesus, there are still so many waiting and wanting to hear the gospel message. Even in this group, of naturally skeptical Jewish leaders in Rome, some were still persuaded by Paul's sharing because of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. You know, I have to admit that sometimes I myself get frustrated and tired of preaching every week and wondering if anyone is really listening because I sometimes catch a glimpse of people on their phones at church not reading their digital Bibles but instead playing mobile games, checking and answering messages, or scanning through their social media accounts. I wonder, are they even here? But my encouragement to continue to faithfully preach God's Word every week is because perhaps today someone in the congregation will hear a message of hope and be encouraged by God's Word. I am again reminded that my responsibility is only to share God's Word. It is God's responsibility to change hearts. So my friends, don't get discouraged sharing the gospel. This 21st century digitized world still needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are people still listening. Jim Sambala preaches at a church in the slums of New York. He tells the following story. It was Easter Sunday, and I was so tired at the end of the day that I just went to the edge of the church platform, pulled down my tie, and sat down and draped my feet over the edge. It was a wonderful service with many people coming forward to receive Christ. The counselors were talking with these people. As I was sitting there, 
I looked up the middle aisle, and there in about the third row was a man who looked about fifty, disheveled, filthy. He looked up at me rather sheepishly, as if saying, Could I talk to you? We have homeless people coming in all the time, asking for money or whatever. So as I sat there, I said to myself, though I'm ashamed of it, what a way to end a Sunday. I've had such a good time preaching and ministering, and here is a fellow probably wanting some money for more wine. He walked up. When he got within about five feet of me, I smelled a horrible smell like I'd never smelled in my life. It was so awful that when he got close, I would inhale by looking away, and then I'd talk to him, and then look away to inhale because I couldn't inhale facing him. I asked him, what's your name? David. How long have you been on the street? Six years. How old are you? Thirty-two. He looked fifty. Hair matted, front teeth missing, wino, eyes slightly glazed. Where did you sleep last night, David? Abandoned truck. I kept in my back pocket a money clip that also holds some credit cards. I fumbled to pick one out thinking, I'll give him some money. I won't even get a volunteer. They're all busy talking with others. Usually, we don't give money to people. We take them to get something to eat. I took the money out. David pushed his finger in front of me. He said, I don't want your money. I want this Jesus, the one you were talking about this morning, because I'm not going to make it. I'm going to die on the street. I completely forgot about David, and I started to weep for myself. I was going to give a couple of dollars to someone God had sent to me. See how easy it is? I could make the excuse I was tired. There is no excuse. I was not seeing him the way God sees him. I was not feeling what God feels. But oh, did that change. David just stood there. He didn't know what was happening. I pleaded with God, God, forgive me, forgive me. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry to represent you this way. I'm so sorry. Here I am with my message and my points, and you send somebody, and I'm not ready for it. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Something came over me. Suddenly, I started to weep deeper, and David began to weep. He fell against my chest as I was sitting there. He fell against my white shirt and tie, and I put my arms around him, and there we wept on each other. The smell of his person became a beautiful aroma. Here is what I thought the Lord made real to me. If you don't love this smell, I can't use you, because this is why I called you where you are. This is what you are about. You are about this smell. Christ changed David's life. He started memorizing portions of Scripture that were incredible. We got him a place to live. We hired him in the church to do maintenance, and we got his teeth fixed. He was a handsome man when he came out of the hospital. They detoxed him in six days. He spent that Thanksgiving at my house. He also spent Christmas at my house. When we were exchanging presents, he pulled out a little thing, and he said, this is for you. It was a little white hanky. It was the only thing he could afford. A year later, David got up and talked about his conversion to Christ. The minute he took the mic and began to speak, I said, the man is a preacher. 
This past Easter, we ordained David. He is now an associate minister of a church over New Jersey. And I was so close to saying, here, take this. Take this money. I'm a busy preacher. We can get so full of ourselves. I love this story because it reminds me that in an entire world in which we live in, there are still people wanting and waiting to hear the gospel message. My friends, are you inspired by this truth to press on to the end with what God has called us to do? There are people waiting for us to share the gospel message. Finally, look at verses 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. During his two-year confinement, Paul was very fruitful. He wrote encouraging letters to various churches. Four of them were inspired and collectively known as the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. The Bible tells us that during this time, many came to visit him and learn from him. And he proclaimed, preached, and taught about Jesus unhindered in the most influential of cities, the seat of the Roman Empire, Rome. Luke ended his story of Paul's life here, clearly illustrating that God's will had been accomplished. Paul took the gospel of Jesus Christ all the way to Rome. Now, many are curious what happened to the Apostle Paul after these two years. While there's some debate, most biblical scholars, including myself, believe that Paul was released from this imprisonment because of historical evidences and through the writings of the early church fathers. Paul wrote his pastoral epistles like 1 Timothy and Titus after his release. Perhaps he visited Spain and brought the gospel there as there's some evidence based on the writings of the early church fathers, which was Paul's desire as he expressed it in Romans chapter 15. But unfortunately, Paul was arrested again and imprisoned in Rome for a second time. But this second time was not like the first time. He wrote 2 Timothy in this second imprisonment, and in that letter noted he was soon going to die. And tradition tells us that after Paul was beaten, he was beheaded for his faith in Jesus Christ and was buried in the catacombs of Rome. The Apostle Paul's life was one of perseverance for the Lord until the end, and he glorified God with the way he lived his life. It was not an easy life for Paul, as we've studied these 21 weeks, but it was a life that was faithful until the end. How was he able to press on to the end in spite of so many challenges and difficulties? The final verses in the book of Acts clearly tell us how because the Apostle Paul had a purpose. And his sole purpose in life was to share about Jesus through his words and actions with all confidence, verse 31 says. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. Paul's actions through his hospitality and availability in receiving all who wanted an audience with him showed his purpose to share Jesus. And of course, Paul's words in the preaching and teaching of Jesus Christ to all showed clearly his life's purpose. Paul had a mission and a purpose every day during those two years of imprisonment, which was to share about Jesus in words and action. 
because this has been his mission all throughout his life ever since his Damascus conversion. I'm sure if there was no visitor on a certain day, he would strike up a conversation with the Roman guard assigned to him to try to win him to Jesus. Paul had a purpose to live for. He was inspired by that purpose to press on to the end. From these verses, we see our fourth inspiration to encourage us to press on to the end, and it is this, number four. We live a purpose life for Christ in words and action. We live a purpose life for Christ in words and action. My friends, without a purpose, you and I will get tired. That's why mobile game designers know it's important to give a player both daily and weekly goals or short-term and long-term goals so that you will have a daily interest to open up the app and play their games. They will even give you a bonus to do a task seven days in a row. And they know that once it becomes a habit, it sticks. Without a purpose, we lose incentive and motivation to do what needs to be done. So it is in life. Without a purpose, and a purpose that goes beyond the superficial, we will find it a drag to get out of bed in the mornings and to go about our daily tasks. Cold, rainy mornings are the hardest to get up out of bed. But if it's your wedding day, or the day you fly out to Japan for your vacation, or it's your birthday, I can assure you that you will be jumping out of bed even if it's a cold and rainy morning. That is the way we should approach life. We have a purpose to live for, and that is to reflect Christ in words and action. And through our words and action, we are sharing Jesus to the world. What a great purpose to live for. This great and high calling will give you the spring in life you need to wake you up from your spiritual funk. Recognizing this purpose will help us avoid a midlife crisis where you wonder what life is all about. Because if your life's purpose is about getting richer, becoming more famous, becoming more popular, more beautiful, getting more education, at some point when you realize you can't attain those things as much as someone else, you will lose the motivation to live life with purpose. Our inspiration to press on until the end is by living a purpose life for Christ in words and action. I'm reminded of this story. Once upon a time, a daughter complained to her father that her life was miserable and that she didn't know how she was going to make it. She was tired of fighting and struggling all the time. It seemed just as one problem was solved, another one soon followed. Her father, a chef, took her to the kitchen. He filled three pots with water and placed each on a high fire. Once the three pots began to boil, he placed potatoes in one pot, eggs in the second pot, and ground coffee beans in the third pot. He let them sit and boil without saying a word to his daughter. The daughter moaned and impatiently waited, wondering what he was doing. After 20 minutes, he turned off the burners. He took the potatoes out of the pot and placed them in a bowl. He pulled the eggs out and placed them in a bowl. He then ladled the coffee out and placed it in a cup. Turning to her, he asked, Daughter, what do you see? Potatoes, eggs, and coffee, she hastily replied. Look closer, he said, and touch the potatoes. She did and noted that they were soft. He then asked her to take an egg and break it. After pulling off the shell, she observed the hard-boiled egg. Finally, 
he asked her to sip the coffee. Its rich aroma brought a smile to her face. Father, what does this mean, she asked. He then explained that the potatoes, the eggs, and coffee bean had each faced the same adversity, the boiling water. However, each one reacted differently. The potato went in strong, hard, and unrelenting, but in boiling water, it became soft and weak. The egg was fragile, with a thin outer shell protecting its liquid interior until it was put in the boiling water. Then the inside of the egg became hard. However, the ground coffee beans were unique. After they were exposed to the boiling water, they changed the water and created something new. Which are you? He asked his daughter. When adversity knocks on your door, how do you respond? Are you a potato, an egg, or a coffee bean? In life, things happen around us. Things happen to us. But the only thing that truly matters is what happens within us. And if we are purposed in life to live for Jesus in words and action, then it doesn't matter the hot waters of adversity we face. We will come out strong and make the water around us different. That is the difference of someone who lives with a purpose versus someone who just goes through the motions of life aimless with no purpose or simply a superficial purpose. My friends, as we run the race called life, there will be many roadblocks and challenges that may come our way which will greatly discourage us. However, there are certain inspirations and biblical reminders that will cause us to press on to the end, to finish the race, and to finish it well. And they are, number one, the inspiration that we are not alone in life's journey. Inspiration number two, we bring a message of hope to the hopeless. Inspiration number three, we know that there are people waiting and wanting to hear the gospel message. And inspiration number four, we live a purpose life for Christ in words and in action. My friends, let us live our lives with purpose, knowing we are not alone as we bring a message of hope in Jesus to a world that is waiting to hear the gospel message. I leave you with these wonderful words of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian Christians written while in Rome found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As Paul pressed on until the end, let us also not be discouraged, but press on to the end, being found faithful until the day we see Jesus face to face. And he tells us, well done, good and faithful one. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we close this book of Acts, having looked through the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, thank you for giving us this wonderful example of a man who was so focused on what you called him to do. He lived a purpose life to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those who were around him. Father, I pray we too would be like modern-day Apostle Paul's to go forth and live lives of purpose knowing that we're not alone and we are to bring a message of hope in Jesus to a world that is waiting and wanting to hear the gospel message. Use us to impact this world in ways that are not only superficial, but have eternal values. Make our lives count for eternity. Challenge your people, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 